Now that you've cast out the evil sorcerer and taken his treasures and searched his colon for gems, it's time for you to kick back and listen to the Save for Half Sideshow. Welcome to the Save for Half Sideshow, where it's all fun and games until somebody takes a four-sider to the eye. Welcome to the Thunderdome. <laughs> well, actually, no. It's Saber Die Side Show number ten and a half. With you is the half of Master of Master Blasters, DM Mike. Joining us is Anti Entity, DM Liz. You're just doing this as an excuse to say the word Thunderdome. Yeah! And joining us is. The guy with the mohawk, whose name I always forget from Beyond Thunderdome, DM Corbett. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember his name either. I was thinking Humunculus from Mad Max, or Road Warrior. Humongous. 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 <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, you could be Humongous. That'll work. Yeah, but... You can all leave. Just leave. Just float away. <laughs> I, I kind of like Humonculus. That's a pretty cool name. Okay, one of y'all have to stat that up now. Uh-huh. The, the Humonculus. I give him a six. <laughs> <laughs> a six what? Yes. Six hit die, six basic damage. Uh... <laughs> All those things, yes. Yes. Well, anyway, this episode... Keeping on the Holmes Basic theme, after we do emails and talk about stuff, we will go to commercial break and then come back and interview Chris Holmes, mm. the son of J. Eric Holmes, wrote the basic Dungeons & Dragons set we covered in episode 10, and the creator of the characters Boyer and Zerlith. You make him sound like a monster sequel. Son of Holmes! Actually, I kind of like that out that. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> we sat at North Texas and debated the various uh, Romero zombie movies in, in in order of which ones were best and worst. So it's pretty cool. But first, do we have any emails? Yes. Yes, we have emails. We have emails today. Yay. But first... <laughs> What did we do at Gaming this week? Who cares? Ow! What have we been doing in gaming this week, Corbett? Oh, I have kind of had a gaming experience that is not a role-playing gaming experience, but it's an interesting experience that I will waste your time with. Awesome. (laughs) We're all about wasting time. I've started playing World of Warcraft. So, you know, I'm one of those people. 
<laughs> I don't know. He's pretty late to the party. My kids were playing it, and they were like, we should do this together. I was like, okay, we'll do it together. And uh-huh. it's funny because I played role-playing games with them, and it's different because I'm running the game. When we're all together, it comes across like The Incredibles. <laughs> you're, you're constantly like, okay, get over there, get over there, get over there, get over there. No, we're not. Oh, we're dead. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you had Blanket studied seat. more Blanket in seat. math... <laughs> <laughs> if you had cleaned up your room, this wouldn't have happened. <laughs> so, an interesting family gaming experience that I, I think I can really see why a lot of families come to North Texas and just run from table to table. It is a wacky experience. Kind of like being in a war with <laughs> your kids as your buddies. <laughs> I don't know what to call it. Anyway. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that's... Uh... Wow. Positive experience, the way you describe it, but a okay. A family of murder hobos. <laughs> yeah. The family who slays together stays together. See, that could okay. be a motto for the show. Yeah, I think there's a bumper sticker there. So, Liz, what's your gaming experience? We're playing in our usual 5e game with our DM Chase. Mm-hmm. And, yes, my 5e experience this past week was listening to Mike nearly have a coronary about how they nerfed down the Hammer of Thunderbolts. (laughs) (laughs) He rhapsodized about how lame it was in 5e. It it was poetry. It was pure poetry. I wouldn't have been as pissed if we hadn't made it a whole quest to find the hammer, the the belt, and the gauntlets, and then, like, really? That's it? Plus 10 to attack? (laughs) That's all? (laughs) <laughs> five charges what, what no sorry two plus uh, no one plus two d4 charges every day so up to five but not necessarily five yeah and it doesn't kill giants automatically anymore first you have to roll a crit not just hitting them and then they get a saving throw I, <clears throat> you don't sound like the guy who used to be happy when you got a plus one <laughs> I would have rather that. Let me just because at least then I know what I'm getting. Let me just change my <laughs> setting to old guy. In my day, the hammer of thunderbolts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, Mike was remembering first edition <laughs> hammer of thunderbolts, and fifth edition hammer did not measure up. <laughs> I think Chase is right that that broke me. <laughs> I mean, it, it really did. It was the. It was the nail in the coffin. It was I the... will play it as one-offs, but once this campaign is over, which we're playing Storm King, and by the way, that adventure is... At one point, I asked Chase if I could blow the whistle on the, on the <laughs> choo-choo train on the railroad we were traveling on. Wow. So You must so, be a fun yeah, player. <laughs> yeah, I am. And, and after this, we're going back to 2E, which... Is better in my but opinion. But Mike will still complain about proficiencies. Yeah, so fear not. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Don't worry. Don't worry, fans. <laughs> I still hate proficiencies. So, Mike, you're saying basically you got a hammer, but you did want a hammer in the morning or hammer in the evening. Or... Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> I couldn't hammer in the evening because I didn't have enough charges. Oh. <laughs> this was great. He threw the hammer. He was expecting the hammer to come back to him, kind of like Thor's hammer, uh-huh. which it did not. <laughs> and I'm playing a bard, and we were at the table, 
someone had said, so, Mike, is it hammer time? <laughs> and he's saying, it would be if I had it. And so I said, I'm going to play if I had a hammer. <laughs> Oh, the pain. Uh, and the DM actually gave me a point of inspiration for that. <laughs> I do I do owe Chase a bit of an apology. Apparently, the hammer did not come back in 1E either. That was something our group extrapolated from Thor's hammer of thunderbolts in Deities and Demigods. So I owe him an apology for that. <laughs> but the rest, lame. Lame, lame, lame. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. That, that's our game. We, we played that. I played Victorious last Monday with Trevor in his game, and I'm finally going to get to actually fight something, a humanoid monstrosity created by a, a mad scientist. So that's lots of fun, playing a Frenchman with ice powers named Jacques Frost. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I was kind of happy with that. Uh -huh. And uh, let's see. Well, Liz, you, played, you play with the frogs. Yeah, I do the 5E Bardsgate live play sessions on Twitch, and yeah. that's normally on Sunday afternoons. We'll have a link in the show notes. I, I play a half-orc thief. <laughs> I refuse to say rogue. Anyway, so I do that. I was almost killed by snakes the last session. Would have been really fun for you to watch if you'd... Why did it anyway. have to be snakes? <laughs> Why did it have to be snakes? Not only were they snakes, but they transformed into snake men. And since I've been bitten, I'm now kind of wondering what those things were. And am I going to turn into a were snake of some kind? So, who knows? Cobra! <laughs> Maybe it perhaps oh. get a lisp and a bass. <laughs> yeah. And a hood over your head. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, that's our gaming. So let's get to the emails. Let's get to the emails. I read all the emails on the face of the earth. No emails were harmed in the making of this podcast. Let us have it, Liz. Do it. Okay. Do it. Our first email is from JV West. JV! Woohoo! And he says, Dear Halfling Sheriffs, glad to see you back in action. Somehow, I miss the fact that you have been regularly recording Save for Half, and I'm super excited about it. You know, you know it's funny how many people aren't actually aware of Save for Half, despite our attempts to promote. It's surprising. Y'all are recording again? So you're not alone, JB. <laughs> well, if you're interested in Save for Half, or you'd like to know about it, consult your doctor first. <laughs> Let him tell you if Save for Half is right for you. Right for you. <laughs> anyway, he goes on to say, Great coverage of Basic Expert, my all-time favorite D&D, &D, and favorite RPG. Somewhere in the course of the episode, one of you said something that was wrong. Uh -oh. And I was mowing the yard, and I wanted to call <laughs> immediately, but uh. then I forgot what it was. So, your final score was 100%, despite that nagging half-memory of a misstated BX fact. You passed your saving throw. Yay! Mm. Of course, you could just listen to it again. And, but, no. oh. <laughs> yeah. Here are some games I would enjoy hearing you guys talk about. Harn and Harn Master. Ooh, yeah. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and oh. Other Strangeness. Right there with you. 
Ghostbusters. Oh, yes. Star Frontiers, a game often used to run Traveler. <laughs> yes, best Traveler supplement ever made. <laughs> Bushido. Ooh. Yeah, I wanted to look at that. And the Conan RPG cook version. Keep the pipe weed dry, JV West. Word. Well, I think we can safely say that at least some of the games you mentioned are going to be covered in future episodes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We got to get to Boot Hill, though. Wait, did, <laughs> didn't we do Boot Hill? No, we didn't do Boot Hill, did no, we? No, we haven't done Boot Hill. We Man. keep saying we'll do Boot Hill, and it keeps getting kicked like a can down the road. <laughs> we gave it the boot. Yep. <laughs> Blue Home, then Boot Hill. So yeah. the main thing to learn here, JV, is don't listen to the show while mowing. It's truly dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> Do not operate heavy equipment while listening to save her time. We really got to put that warning save in the notes. Save for half. <laughs> ah, save for half. <laughs> 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 Curse you. You edit that out. <laughs> you said. <laughs> now it grows stronger. <laughs> save or die is an awesome show. And you should still be listening to it, even though we are not there. So, meh. <laughs> All right. Our next letter is from Jay White. Hello, Jay. Hey. And Jay says, hello. I just listened to your podcast about Traveler. Fun episode, and we'll listen to more of them soon. But what actually caught my attention was at the very beginning. What was the song you used for your intro music? That being asked, and out of the way... I really love CT and played it a lot since it was one of the first RPGs I purchased. In fact, I bought my first copy as a graduation gift for myself from high school, which was about the same year it came out. 77. What I I really like is the character generation process. That's what made it such a unique part of the game, and it stayed in most of the later incarnations of the game, even into the short-lived T20 version. Just rambling. Like your podcast. We'll listen to more of them. Jay. Thanks, Jay. Awesome. Well, for starters, the song is called Dungeon Hustle by Mississippi Bones. We will make sure their link is in our show notes again to their SoundCloud. Yeah, Great band. Got, you can find them on SoundCloud. You can find them on Bandcamp.com. You can find them on YouTube. If you are looking for Mississippi Bones, you can find them all over the place. And they do some really great music. Yeah. As for Traveler, yeah, I agree. Though I, my old man hat on, I got <laughs> I annoyed as they made it less and less lethal as the game went on. Well, you don't die during character generation. You just get grievously injured. Or, well, you actually got a splinter in your toe. Or, but you get four commendations and three skills, so go ahead. But yes, Classic Traveler was my first science fiction RPG. I think it may have even beat Gamma World. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Still love it. Uh, not a huge fan as I've gotten older of the mercenary and high guard, etc. stuff. But the original three black books, you bet. Never really got into Traveler until much later in life. Yeah, I never owned it myself. It wasn't until we got married that, you know, when our collections merged and it's like, oh, I can look at your Traveler books. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I just had Gamma World and then Star Frontiers. I think it was the black cover that threw me off. I didn't realize it was an actual game book until later on. Yeah, that was, as much as I love Traveler, the early black book 
you know, digest editions. I mean, they had no art or maybe one piece of art in the whole book. I mean, it was dense. You got a lot of good information for your book, but yeah, it was kind of bland looking, which was a pity because it was a great game. All right. Well, thanks for writing, Jay, and yeah. hopefully you are continuing to still listen and are enjoying what we're doing. Our next letter is from DM Mothshade. Hey, Mothshade. It says, Mothshade here. Just wanted to write to say how much I enjoy listening to the show as I sit and write at my desk. It definitely Excellent. puts me in the right mood to crank out more Avramir 0E content. When I run out of episodes, I turn to my soundtrack collection for background music. It's just not as good. Thank you for carrying the torch. We always need torchbearers down in the dungeon. And, as always, long may you wave. Wishing you the Bree-yarkiest of New Year's. Love, DM Mothshade. Thanks, Mothshade. Yep, we got right to this one. <laughs> That's right. It's A mere three within... months. Yep. It's, it's the Chinese hey. New Year. Is what he was saying, hey, obviously. Hey, <laughs> hey, for us, it's actually not bad. Just a three-month lag. There have three been times lag. when there have been times when we've been doing emails and they're like six months old, and it's like I feel very, very guilty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he gave us copies of his Avramir at last year's GaryCon, didn't he? Yes, he did, and I hope I'm actually pronouncing that correct, and it's not Avramire, but... Um, I'm sure he'll correct us if that's the case. Yes, please do. <laughs> yeah, we ought to review that sometime. We love yes. corrections. <laughs> <laughs> Edits of any kind. That's right. Our final email of the night, before, we, before we get to the Chris Holmes interview is from DM Carl of Save or Die. Never Whoa. heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Carl. Carl says, Hello, Save for Half crew. I have heard your comments on Holmes Vampires on this show, and also another show, Save or Die, Save or Die, Save or Die, Save or Die. <laughs> and I wanted to chime in with my uneducated opinion. Oh, hardly uneducated. In regards to vampires in a basic game, I would keep in mind that in Holmes, vampires have all their iconic weaknesses with little to no caveats to protect them from easy destruction in the correct circumstances. If a group of hapless teenagers can defeat vampires in horror movies, then your party of third-level <laughs> magic users and fighters might as well give it a shot. <laughs> yeah. As long as he, they have a talking point. dog, there's a chance. Yeah. <laughs> that the critical point there is if do they know they're going up against a vampire? Because if they do, then yeah, you can load up on garlic and steaks and, and uh, clerics and. On the other hand, the group of hapless teenagers in horror movies generally doesn't know until <laughs> at least halfway through. Yeah, and they're not in a dungeon either, mm. or having to play on the outdoor survival map. Mm. <laughs> Or you die of dysentery. I think you're thinking <laughs> of Oregon Trail. Oh, yeah, that, that's that too. We've you all been there. Eat, eat the wrong route, starve to death, or dehydrate. It's, it's a great game. Anyway, he goes on to say, you can view vampires against low-level characters as more of a puzzle than a combat and get a lot of mileage out of the game that way. 
the job of the low-level party would be to set up the correct circumstances in which they could defeat this powerful creature with a well-placed stake or beam of sunlight. I think this is notable because in later versions of the game, both Advanced and BX, for example, a lot of caveats are placed on the quick death of the vampire, time requirements and saving throws, etc. But in Holmes, it's simply left up to the dungeon master how to handle the creature's iconic weaknesses. Keep up the good work. DM Carl. Thanks, Carl. Mm. I wonder how you'd handle the invitation-only part of a vampire in a dungeon. If it was a scenario where the vampire is leaving its lair and coming into a village or a town to do whatever it's doing, and you're having to stop it there, you could do the whole invitation thing at some point. Of course, you know, Holmes is pretty much centered on dungeons, so... Which, by the way, on the OD&D 74 boards, where we have the Safer Half Forum... Someone mentioned correctly that we never talked about the sample dungeon in Holmes. That's true. Kind of got away from us. Yeah, well, time-wise. I'll just say I loved it. It not only gave me an example of how to do a dungeon, but pointed out the the constant need for underground rivers. Yeah, I got to say, that was the very first dungeon sample I ever saw. And making my own maps... For a long time after that, almost all of them had some kind of underground river feature in them because I just thought that was so cool in the sample dungeon in the Holmes book. Yeah, and spoiler alert, it also had, unlike a a lot of other dungeons, even modules, it had a very clear ending. You know, the beach, Mm -hmm. the princess, or not princess, but the, the captured lady who's actually a pretty badass fighter, surprisingly, Hmm. and the giant octopus. You had an end where you could then sail out after fighting the pirates and then go back to Tort Town and be lauded as a hero or heroine. So I really like that, too. And, of course, the skull, the skull mountain of the layout, the various Hmm. levels. Also, going through the sample dungeon, you actually got a taste, a little bit, of some of the spells that would be available to a fourth level magic user. Yeah, the unnamed fourth level magic user in uh-huh. there plotting mm-hmm. to take over the dungeon and his charmed minion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, see, charm spells are very useful. As long as you charm somebody cool and not like, yeah, I charmed <laughs> the beggar. All his coppers are mine. Renfield? Renfield. <laughs> Renfield. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So yeah, and of course it gave the standard option of you can expand this to go even lower if you want, mm. dungeon after dungeon. So that was pretty cool. And I would do want to give a shout out to Brosick because Oak Spalding made a comment of me not being on the show in episode 9, and that was due to a family emergency. I happened to mention that, yeah, I, met, I, I told Liz that you know maybe she could become the lead host for for say for half, and she growled at me. <laughs> I did. And and Rossick said, "Did she growl like a puppy kobold?" <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "Yes, she exactly growled like a puppy kobold." I don't growl like a puppy kobold. Puppy kobolds, puppy kobolds growl, growl like me. Like me. <laughs> <laughs> they aspire to Liz's level of cute growl. 
Alright, well, any other announcements, or shall we go to our station break, as it were, and then come back to talk to Chris Holmes? No, Anyone? I got nothing. Barbet. Oh, Barbet. oh, oh, right, right. No, no, I forgot, sorry. It was just a silly thing I came across. Uh, if anybody keeps up with AI weirdness, it's a it's a website out there. The The person who's in charge of programming the AI has been making it spit out or AD&D monster second edition and AD&D uh, spells and I think she's working on something to do with uh, characters but I'm not sure but uh, we'll put a link in the show notes for it but you can look up really fun monsters like the spectral slug or the spectral uh, <laughs> ooze and that actually sounds pretty cool I, know. I think I'd like to use a spectral ooze the, on some players the unicorn bat <laughs> uh, I, I'm not seeing the problem here. They sound great. I know the the inevitable giant dwarf. <laughs> it actually so, picked these it's things a guy. up. <laughs> no, he's a giant dwarf. Giant dwarf. Twice mm-hmm. the height of any normal dwarf. <laughs> he's a dire dwarf. <laughs> this is sounding a lot like some of the spells that were made up from Kevin's crummy handwriting. Uh, ultra Raisin? <laughs> yes, Ultra Raisin. Wall of Flaccid Arrow. Wall of Frog. <laughs> <laughs> There's a huge list. It is like thousands of things. It just started throwing out. That's okay. We'll put the link in the show notes and people can go investigate on their own if oh. they dare. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sorry. Well, let's uh, take our break then, and we'll come back with Chris Holmes. Into a world without nearly enough quality gamer podcasts, they came. The Grognard Files, a podcast about role-playing games from back in the day. You know they're experts because they speak with British accents. Find them at armchairadventureblog.com, iTunes, or wherever fine podcasts are served. Chris Holmes, son of J. Eric Holmes, figured we'd talk to you about gaming with your dad. How did that start, and are there any interesting anecdotes you'd like to share with us about it? I think as I had to confess uh, before on the panel, we weren't 
taught from the basic three tan booklets. We were taught Cal Arts Barton re- revisionist rules with the critical hit tables and the percentile dice and the spell points and so forth. Was but that Dad what the King Warlock? Yeah, that was called Warlock. Okay. But Dad was interested in how to play the game as it was originally written by Guy Gax and Arnson. He went ahead and bought all those tan booklets and chain mail, and he researched it for himself a little bit. That was kind of pricey thought, back in the day, wasn't it? Yeah, but he's very loose with his hobby money. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. His second wife had to put him on a credit card of his own to, to keep from... He always wanted to buy everything about everything that interested him. So that wasn't so surprising to us. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, I guess as a neurosurgeon, he actually had some money to do so. So Medical school teacher. So he... What would you call him? Upper middle class? Depends on where you live. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, academia, I understand. <laughs> he had a lot of nice toys and a lot of nice books, comic books, and, and all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I didn't uh, have a uh, sad childhood, as you know. Reading the, trying to read the original books and figure out the rules as written without someone to teach you, he found difficult. And he thought, well, this, if this is difficult for me, it's probably going to be difficult for anyone else who isn't already a war gamer or isn't being, you know, initiated by someone who already knows how to play. There should be beginner's version or a book like called Beginner's Guide to Dungeons and Dragons, and maybe I should write it. So he wrote TSR a letter saying as, as much. And they called him back, told him that they were thinking of doing something like that, but they were very busy doing advanced Dungeons and Dragons and didn't really have the time and didn't have any money. But if he wanted to do it on his own, they might be able to print it. So that's what became the, uh, what you guys call the basic set. <laughs> but um, I didn't get to play Holmes basic very much because he didn't really play test it on us until he had written it. So we played a few games and then we all um, graduated from high school, our group, except for the couple of medical students who were in the group. Most of us were high school students. And when we graduated, my friends, uh, went off to various states to go to college and the game split up. So I probably only played Holmes basic like four times. So, <laughs> so I guess well, I'm uh, not an expert. So the characters of Surlith and Boinger were probably really asso- should be associated with the warlock game then, right? Yeah. You're not going to help the sales of the book that way though. <laughs> <laughs> well, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that they were created for that. That version, yeah. yeah the, uh, the characters we created for uh, Holmes Basic, a magic user who was three inches tall called Jean-Luc Petit, and uh, <laughs> my friend Eric Fraser had an intelligent small dragon, and that's about all I remember. I think it had a samurai as well. Woo-hoo. But it was good fun, and I like the rules. I, I like I like Holmes Basic. I, I like not having to worry about spell points and what particular weapon you were using against which particular armor class kind of fun when you started but after a while it was too many tables in the cal tech rule system too many tables to consult i think it wasn't quite as intuitive as what is a basic D. what is kind of referred to now as fiddly bits although i would say that <laughs> the west coast gamers also kind of had a rep for pretty much house ruling and doing what they wanted when they wanted you know the whole as Gygax, I think, called it Dungeons and Beavers. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> well, but if you were trying to learn the, the original game, you have to house rule 
mm-hmm. would think, for some mm-hmm. extent, because they didn't make all the rules for like time and space and you know a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> well, and the rules so, say, you know, if if you want, you figure out a better way to do something, use it. You know, so I don't. I never saw understood why there was such a grousing about you're changing the game but it's yeah. made to be changed what's huh no <laughs> it's written you never change it it's always the same and nothing ever happens that's better that <laughs> <way>. <laughs> yeah we're not here to have fun that's mike right. we're here to play a game <laughs> <laughs> that's right but as you know we uh if if we wanted to create a character class or, you know, if dad wanted to play an intelligent insect, you know, then we just did it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So house rules were definitely not, <laughs> they were not the exception. They were more the, the, the common rule. A lot of house rules. Sure. I thought of one recently that I hadn't mentioned earlier, which was the dying blow rule, which is if your character is, was killed, dad would give him an extra attack as he died oh. to uh, try to, one last get chance. Get some kind of revenge. To... That's yeah, cool. it was sort of a pulpy kind of thing that he added. I, I enjoyed that. Yeah. I usually missed on my dying blow, but... <laughs> but you had the chance. Well, I think it made the Dungeon Master feel better about killing off a player's character. <laughs> Did the monsters get a the... dying blow? No, the monsters never get a dying blow because <laughs> they're just monsters. <laughs> yeah. Do I have to write this down for you? <laughs> <laughs> I think Mike is asking but, questions from a dungeon master point of view rather than a player point of view. <laughs> right. It's like, I don't want it's monsters to a dying blow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think we gave monsters a critical hit either, even when we were supposed to. <laughs> yeah, I was, <laughs> was going to say that, yeah, I noticed that there are some critical hit systems that players love until the monsters get to do it, and suddenly it's not a lot of fun anymore. Suddenly you're the one with one leg to stand on, literally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. On the on the third hand, monsters usually had like three attacks with claw claw bite, which is inherently unfair anyway. So. Yeah. <laughs> but. So house rule it however you want. I say. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And you could still say you're playing Holmes Basic if you want, or whatever you're playing. Right. <laughs> it's not like they're going to come over to your table and rip up your copy of the game, but I remember hearing, at least in the beginning, that some people would do that. People would be running D&D at a con or something using... Oh, pho- if, they saw, if they saw you with photocopied? Yeah, some people would come up and like rip oh. up a copy in front of you. Did, did wow. you ever <laughs> see that? No, I, guess I, know. I have not heard of that. Yeah, I heard that. You guys know more of the history. Somebody's get a kick in the <laughs> store, I think, for you know, going up tearing up my rules. I don't care if they're photographed or not. Maybe I photocopied yeah. them because I want my originals to stay at home. It's, On the other yeah, hand, it's a weird thing because in a way, you, you, know, you want the company to make money because they've created well, sure. something, but... On the other hand, you want more people playing at the game as well, and mm-hmm. some of those people were were not very wealthy. Right. And in the I mean, early days, if you want to be a player, you didn't even have to have your own dice. You could just have a pencil, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, and there was that idea at the beginning that really the DM would be the only one that really knew the rules. The players didn't have to know the rules. They just knew enough to make up their characters and go. The DM would tell them what they needed to do. Unfortunately, that didn't last very long, but I know mm-hmm. on the Grognard Files, a British podcast that covers old school games, their gaming group had a rule where 
each person in the group would choose one game that they would run. Like, mm-hmm. Corbett would choose Star Trek, I'd choose D&D, and Liz would choose Rocky and Bullwinkle. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> She's so Is that true, Liz? <laughs> I, I, well, I do own the Rocky and Bullwinkle RPG, so... It's true. I, yeah. I could have chosen that, yes. Guaranteed. And as such... <laughs> I want to play. Neither, <laughs> neither Corbett and I could buy a copy of the Rocky and Bullwinkle game. Liz and I could not buy a copy of the Star Trek RPG, oh. and Corbett and Liz would not be able to buy D&D. That was their unwritten rule. And oh, I see. That's great if you could do that, but that was certainly not my group growing up. I mean, everybody ran everything, so there was really mm-hmm. no way to keep the rules isolated. Um, well, I also think it's it's enjoyable for people to look at rules, and even if they're not trying to get around the rules or fight with their dungeon master, they may just enjoy reading the rule books and you know looking at the pictures and thinking about new character classes or whatever. So, yeah, yeah, I would never think that was a good rule. And DMs get tired after a while; they want a break. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I ran a couple of games. And that's where Dad played his uh, dream-like character and his American Indian cleric, I believe. So I don't think I was as good as he was, and I didn't really enjoy it as much as I enjoyed being a player in his games. But it was nice for him, I think, and it was nice for me to get a little mm-hmm. practice in. It's no, a, right. I ran Empire, Empire of the Petal Throne one time, but I felt so <laughs> underprepared for it that I kind of said, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> I don't yeah. know how to pronounce any of these gods. <laughs> Empire of the Petal Throne, to me, kind of goes into the same thing, like running Middle-Earth mm. role-playing games and stuff. You know, it, There's such a back history to it that I would feel like if I was not fully read on every little iota, I would feel underprepared. But actually uh, your players would, wouldn't know that, and they would forgive you. <laughs> Probably, but there always seems to be that one player. Well, actually, in novel three of Forgotten Realms, it clearly states that that tavern has three rooms, not two. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, you're dead. (laughs) The game we're playing in right now, our DM is a big Forgotten Realms fan. And he's always trying to tell us, you know, well, this stuff that you're doing right now, this takes place in year so-and-so and and yada, yada, yada. And I'm saying, Chase, I have no idea what any of the Forgotten Realms timeline is. You could make this up and I would have no idea. Let's just go with it. Yeah. Where's the dungeon? That would be fine. You know? (laughs) Chris, I was just curious for more of a parenting question. Did your dad make you run the game or did you volunteer to run the game <laughs> i'm sure i volunteered okay no 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 i was i started working on my dungeon fairly early on so eat your vegetables or idea. you have to run keep on the borderlands <laughs> well, I, I, I run the game for a lot of my kids and, and it's i kind of wonder why they haven't like volunteered to jump up and i'm afraid to like push them to like you should just run the game it'll be fine i mean i know it'd be i would be pretty intimidated if jr combs was like hey run the game for me like um oh, i'm sick today <laughs> so well, i guess you well, can tell just... your kids kind of mention in passing i'd really like to play sometime maybe hmm. just sort of give them the idea well, i could try to run a game and then dad could play <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Sorry. See, just... to me, he was just bad. He wasn't John Eric Holmes. I know. Yeah, I was about to say, that was kind of I wasn't... important was John Eric Holmes, I guess. So. <laughs> I was never intimidated by his uh, intellect or what, what have you. He was a great dungeon master. We both watched M.R. James uh, run a game. We were kind of like, wow. <laughs> Later, I sort of was intimidated that I ran a game. <laughs> but at the time, it just seemed like, Let's... my turn. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, no, I was flipping through your family history, which, by the way, awesome family. <laughs> I'm intimidated just in general. I mean, all the way back to your... Oh, by my grandfather, yeah. Your yeah. grandfather has, like, this whole list of stuff. James Bond would be like, wow, that dude's awesome. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, Grandpa was pretty great. He put me through college. Awesome. What, forcefully or <laughs> with money? <laughs> <laughs> But back to fantasy. So we we did use variable damage in case anyone is still wondering. <laughs> I didn't know that he didn't put that rule into Holmes Basic, variable damage, because we always used it. But then he was trying to be very faithful to the original rule, so that's where... Yeah, and as Liz never tires of telling me, it was meant to be an introduction set, so making everything a D6 was easier. Yeah, mm -hmm. I could imagine as a brand new player who had never done anything like this before it's one less thing to have to remember no matter what kind of weapon i'm using i know that i roll a six-sided die and that's mm -hmm. it i mean i was very happy to go on to variable damage once i moved on to ad and d but just starting out from scratch and you're having to remember all this stuff it's it's one less thing to have to fool with Plus, you got those chits, right? So yes, that could have made those it. wonderful chits. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Mike loves them. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I've heard two rumors. One that it was there was a temporary run out of polyhedrons from the science company they were getting them from, so they had to fill boxes mm -hmm. with chits. And then I've heard another story that it was a cost cutting method to try to increase profits That's yeah either very one possible well, no, no. yeah I, I for thought about tsr this... at the time either one could be quite plausible well i thought about this afterwards <laughs> and that's when they stopped producing the 12 inch gi joe i know this is a toy thing but 12 inch gi joe <laughs> was cut because it was too much plastic they were cutting down on the use of plastic for some reason so uh the opec mm. uh the opec the oil embargo gas the shortage Dang yeah. it. All right. So there we go. That, petroleum. that that could have been maybe. I don't know. It could have been a, a, a Could have been. Could have thing. been. Did He-Man come out about the same time G.I. Joe shrank? G.I. Joe. maybe uh, they they or Star Wars a year or two, I think. Well, they cut... uh, Star Wars predated it though. The G.I. Joe shrank. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that was 77, mm. 78. Yeah, that was when they put out the first 3-inch figures, the uh, the Star Wars figures. And it was about that mm -hmm. time. And G.I. Joe shrank from a 12-inch to an 8-inch. And then in 82 or so, when He-Man came out, that's when the 3-inch version... You know, it's just toys and nothing to do with gaming. Forget that. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was just a theory. Well, we did game with toys, so... Uh, yeah. You know, when, yeah. There weren't <laughs> when there weren't lead figures around, we grabbed plastic toys. So. Here, here. That's, there is a tie-in there. Yeah. <laughs> a, a bit of do about nothing, but apparently... Grenadier Models actually did a 25 mil minis line of Masters of the Universe figures. Really? Ooh. Which I had no idea until I, I was reading old issues of Space Gamer, and I came across that. And I'm like, wow. Cool. 
<laughs> I, I was never really into He-Man, but you know, I might get a Skeletor figure. That would be cool for my set. Then I saw how much Noble Knight wanted it just Skeletor for. It was like 120 bucks. I'm like, Ooh. I don't want him that bad. Yeah, you. <laughs> Why don't you kit bash it? Your own Skeletor. <laughs> no, with 3D printing. Take a barbarian. Listen, I can tell you how to do this. <laughs> take a barbarian <laughs> figurine, cut his head off with a pair of wire cutters, and get a get a skeleton figure and some super glue and Bob Or your get uncle. a picture. Get a 3D yeah. picture of Jesse Ventura, <laughs> cut his head off, and put a cloak and a skull, oh, and you've got yeah. Skeletor. Yeah. Because weren't they all, all those He-Man figures, just kind of the... They were all I think they had good. generic bodies. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I feel a lot better now. I've always felt self-conscious about throwing <laughs> toys into the game. It's, it's nice to know that people were doing it, and it wasn't just me. Yeah. Well, well that's, that's you know where the, the... You know the Rust Monster story, right? The Japanese You know the Rust Monster and the Bulletee, yeah, were monsters they created based on toys from Hong Kong, so... Yeah, those old bags of pl- those, like 50 plastic things you'd buy at the store, and it was just random critters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty cool. See, wasn't it just... all goes round and round. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the irony is, when the D&D action figures came out, they were like He-Man size rather than a size you could plausibly use in a game with your other minis. That's a good point. That's right, they were useless. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, what... What are you going to do with these guys? I can't I, use them in my game. I beg to differ. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, yeah, if you want some giants. I've or, seen mazes you know. and monsters, yeah. and I love those figurines, man. <laughs> <laughs> they were giant. Those were huge. <laughs> oh, that was in the TV movie? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, mazes uh, and monsters. It's on my list. haven't got to it yet. It's, I it's, read the book, unfortunately. Unfortunately, yeah, the book. Believe, oh, okay, terrible. the book is better. Than the oh God! Book. Hey, that's great. Tom to Hanks, a beloved American. <laughs> well, icon. now he's never gonna watch it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love horrible things. <laughs> <laughs> but it's got Tom Hanks. You know, even though Tom Hanks refuses to admit that he was in that, and won't put it on his IMDb. <laughs> they they should they should make a sequel and I have Colin Hanks. I can't imagine why not. <laughs> But yeah, I like those really horrible, especially those D&D are going to make you a Satanist stuff from the 80s. I, I, mm-hmm. It's because I grew up in North Mississippi, which was kind of the buckle of the Bible Belt. But, mm-hmm. you know, I just have this, I don't know, morbid fa- fascination with those books and some of the idiocies they spouted. So what, Jack hey, got I bought- interviewed by a Christian television station or something. I don't know if he ended the interview before they recorded him or if they I, oh I forget that story but anyway he got very angry about how they sort of misrepresented themselves and then and then they asked him this question about demonology at the end and he's like huh <laughs> <laughs> one of the reasons he wrote the article confessions of a dungeon master was, was debunk as much as he could about uh, it being demonically <laughs> yeah was that a, a, a game for for witches or what have you. <laughs> yeah, that was Psychology Today, right? Or something like that? Right. One of those magazines? And then the other was the worries that it would cause you to go crazy and kill yourself, I suppose. Is that whole egg Both equally. <laughs> yeah. We did sort of enjoy the dark clouds surrounding it, I suppose you could say. <laughs> well, yeah, in a way it did kind of give a bit of 
<laughs> or doing something, you know, especially when you're a teenager, or doing something your parents don't want you to do. So now you want to do it twice. And... Except <laughs> Liz. Liz's parents bought her all her stuff. Yeah, they they never bought in to any of that demonic ridiculousness. And yeah. they were trying you know, to usher you into it, maybe. Maybe so, <laughs> but if they did, it was a very poor attempt. Um, <laughs> but yeah, most of my D and D stuff I got as Christmas or birthday gifts from my parents. <laughs> If you play Rocky and Bullwinkle, you'll start chasing mooses and squirrels everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't quite have the same same thing as demonology, does it? No. I'm kind of pissed well, off at the squirrels in our yard, so I, I could kind of see that. Ill squirrel. <laughs> I think nowadays there's probably parents who wish their children would play, you know, games with them that are that involving. And uh, yeah. I've, seen a lot of great parents and children at the conventions gaming together. I think it's awesome. Yeah, I was talking with a guy in Washington many years back, Washington, D.C., who was actually hired by a recreational center to go up and run D&D games. And, the and they parents, paid him. Yeah, they paid him. I mean, it was like minimum wage, but still. <laughs> and the point was, you know, parents were desperate to get their kids doing something socially with other kids rather than sitting all day on the computer or watching TV. It yeah. was, they're interacting with other human beings yeah. face to face. Well, I, maybe we should have another topic um, uh, because I often think it was instrumental in overcoming my shyness and perhaps getting me into theater arts, which sort of got me into my career. So I always felt that it probably is something that we need to promote as a as an you know activity, maybe not for families, but just for for yeah, kids who need to interact more and. Oh, I agree. And, uh, I agree. Bet between role playing and medieval reenactment, that really got me out of my shell as a kid. And into a, some armor or, or a wizard robe or something. Right? <laughs> exactly. And that's where I went, and I met my wife. <laughs> yeah. So it, it really that's worked. How out. I met my wife. <laughs> awesome. At the Renaissance Fair. You know, yeah. that is more readily accessible nowadays with, like, uh, Comic-Con and, uh, you know, fandom and uh, just in general. It's not the same as uh, it was back in the 70s, really. If you were... Orbit. Yeah, I was... Tyler, Texas yeah. has a Comic-Con <laughs> and had 3,000 people at it. Uh, so weird. I'm still in shock. <laughs> Tyler, Texas. A town I've never heard of. Exactly. <laughs> well, if you go nowhere <laughs> yeah. and then take a left, it's right there. <laughs> yeah, if you're in Dallas and you're going to Louisiana, it's halfway. So yeah, I just wow, oh, it's it's amazing how how accepted a lot of geek culture is now. It's I guess mm -hmm. because we all grew up. But you know, I I'm I'm actually okay. I feel like I'm being uh, uh, softy here, but I'm a little offended by the geek culture, nerd culture stuff because those are technically slanders against. Anybody who's smart and or or clever. No man, or, no. We we've turned it around. We took we took it back. Oh boy, it's our <laughs> word. You can't it, use man. our word. <laughs> <laughs> the the first time I heard the word geek was in a horror story by Ray Bradbury, I think, that my father read aloud to me, and it was about a guy who who bites the heads off of chickens in a sideshow. Yeah, that's why <laughs> I heard later, about it at a carnival. <laughs> 
yeah. I was like, and then suddenly people are saying, oh yeah, I'm a geek. Are you a geek? <laughs> Does this involve chicken heads in any I, way? I enjoy <laughs> chicken, but um, I like it fried yeah. first. Uh, so but yeah, it's yeah, funny now how it's that cool. word transferred. But... Uh, I guess so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but, but Corbett, you don't like it. Don't no, like it. it's just kind of a well. I don't like not like it, but it's sort of a. It's frustrating because it feels like it's um, putting yourself down, and and really, mm-hmm. I mean, these people are amazing. Honestly, I go to conventions, I go to I go to see people do anything. It's like they they pulled out every bit of crafting skill they've ever had. Their their math skills are through the roof. I mean, just in general, they're pretty amazing people. And I guess it's a perception thing because I'm I wear the label geek with pride. I guess so. Geek. No, I think we should let him. Right. Corbett needs to come up with a new word for us. Yeah. Get on that, Corbett. I'm right on it. <laughs> well, anyway, back to 70s gaming, or at least a mm-hmm. tangent of it. You recently released Tales of Peril. Uh, Blackblade did. I didn't do much. <laughs> didn't you write a forward or something? I wrote a forward and I did some new drawings and I. Uh, Where shark? <laughs> yeah, I did a new drawing of a wear shark. Yes. Yeah, we and got I will that happily from the sign con- anyone's copy. <laughs> Yeah, when we, we got back from the con, we realized, oh, no, we never found him again because you had said you would draw a were-shark in our copy of Tales of Peril, and we totally missed you. At that. So if you're <laughs> at North Texas this year, we're going to have to hunt you down and get you to draw a I will be there. Cool. I think I'll be able to spot you. Probably, yeah, especially if I'm in my top <laughs> hat. I, I should be That's right. fairly nice. <laughs> so how's it doing, by the way? I, I do know not that, know. I know that, uh, <laughs> I know that. I suspect it's doing modestly, or else they would have told me, hey, we're selling out. Black <laughs> so there should be plenty Blade of copies available. Or Blackblade is funneling it to their account in the Bahamas. Yeah, that's it. That's what's going on. Big gaming money. First, Alan Grove and Taco John. No, I think, it's, uh, I think they're going to deal very well with me. And it was a labor of love for them, uh, mostly for Alan, but they were loved. And Zach helped out, too, and they did a lot of work. Yeah, we got a copy. I- I'm just Great. happy to be able to read those stories um, that were in Alarms and Excursions, because there was no way I was going to get copies of those. I was a little leery of those, because they're not his best writing, but uh, I'm glad they got in any, uh, in the uh, in the long run, because they're still fun. Oh, I-, I enjoy them for, for two big reasons. One... Boyer is the hero, or at least one of the two heroes. He's a halfling, but he's not over the top halflingy. You know, it's like you know he's a halfling, but he does the story doesn't beat you over the head with it. And Zerlith is am I saying that right? Zerlith? Oh, I don't care. Zero. Okay. Is a dark elf, but isn't all drizzdurden and angsty and and emo about it all. He's just an adventuring elf and who happens to be a dark elf and both of those are to read are very fun and very refreshing thank you well yeah and emo hadn't been invented yet so that wasn't <laughs> a problem are you sure i mean it was disco <laughs> but it wasn't the cure or, or the smiths <laughs> oh well that's true that's true fair point he was a prog rock elf <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, he, he, it's some fun stories, and I like uh, their adventure, especially in the, the main book, Maze of Peril. 
I like the Lovecraftian hints in the story. I like how they deal with certain things. You know, mm-hmm. some of the monsters they run into. I like how they deal with a certain flesh golem. I mean, that <laughs> that whole incident just screams D&D game. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and the cockatrice. That was, did that really Don't happen? Don't give it away, Mom. I can't recall whether it really happened, but... It certainly I read like... I suspect it really yeah. happened. Yeah. yeah, it certainly reads like, yeah, I could see this happening at a table. And like, ha-ha, no, oh. ah! Yeah, I won't spoil it. <laughs> but yeah. When did you uh, start getting away from gaming, or did you ever? I know most people seem to have a time in their life where gaming takes a back seat for a little while. Yeah, it was... <laughs> Uh, freshman year in college, probably. Mm-hmm. Not a happy, not a happy period for me. <laughs> oh dear, having but, to deal with the the psychological change from high school to college. Well, all my friends moved out of state, and Dad moved out of state to New Mexico. Wow. So, uh, so you were kind of stuck. Thought, well, yeah. Well, also, I had this idea in my head that I should try to grow up and read serious books and not be so nerdy. I guess. And it didn't work out very well. I, I was much happier when I gave that up. <laughs> you ever notice it's usually kids who think about they need to act grown up. Once you actually get it to be a grown up, you realize how little <laughs> there really is to acting grown up. <laughs> yeah. Well, but I had a turning point when I was reading Pride and Prejudice on a train in Europe. I was not enjoying it at all. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to leave this on the train. And, and I'm going to try to... <laughs> Something. I'm going to read science fiction fantasy or at least something with a few jokes in it. <laughs> <laughs> something fun. Have you read Through Pride the series are... Zombies? <laughs> you know, I misspoke just then. I was actually reading Crime and Punishment. Oh, okay. so, um, Tolstoy. Pride and Prejudice mm-hmm. is actually a much more fun. <laughs> I've seen the movie. <laughs> so I can tell you. I've seen, yes, I've seen the one with zombies and I've seen the one with, uh, with just attractive people. <laughs> Either one is more fun. <laughs> I, had to I didn't mean to diss Jane Austen. Sorry. Well, uh, it, it's an acquired taste. Um, <laughs> I had a 19th century Russian class uh, for my history mm. degree, and the professor insisted that the only way to understand 19th century Russia is to read all its literature. Mm-hmm. So I read all those crime and punishment, father and sons. No, thing about poor guy. Thing. Yeah, I mean, the whole line of Tolstoy and Dostoevsky and just You see Chekhov what higher education and, uh, gets you? Huh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's the only way to really understand Russians. Why? Because well, understand why they're always so depressed? <laughs> well, now we're digressing, aren't we? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> we're going into let's bash Sorry. literature now. <laughs> well, we lost both our Russian listeners, so. Oh, wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> say, you're, yeah. you're losing me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Liz. <laughs> I didn't know you were the a Rocky and Bullwinkle, fan. huh? <laughs> <laughs> I love yeah, it. Rocky and Bullwinkle, yeah, let's go there. See, <laughs> <laughs> my favorite cartoon was called The Herculoid. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that would be a great. I love Herculoids. Let's do a role playing game. <laughs> yeah. There, there's a generic one called Cartoon Action Hour. Yeah. That mm-hmm. I don't think specifically does Herculoids, but I'm sure you could do it in you there. You can make anything I mean, you want with it. It's honestly like any of those cartoons, anything. He Man, whatever you want to make. Just like, this is the format. This is how we're doing it. And uh, oh, 
Yeah, you're aware of the game then. But oh. is it true that like in the middle of the game, each player has to like do a commercial for their character's <laughs> toys? You can. Uh, that's where I got my idea. I added that in to my games actually a long time before they actually suggested it. I thought it was kind of funny. So worked out great for me. But the one thing cool. I added in that they didn't have in the original game was the marketing. If you spend your marketing budget toward the the writing and the production, then the show is going to be great, but the toys will be awful, which has to be reflected in the writing. So <laughs> you wind up with those, uh, like, do you remember Rom Space Night? Was, it was, yes. It was a great comic book. It was a fantastic comic book, but the toy but was the like toy. one yeah. articulation point, and that was it. I, I, I added a lot more to it playing around with it that makes it, like meta game beyond its own or, game. It's fun though. Or like GoBots, which fun. are like the Walmart to- Transformers. Yeah, you can but make your Walmart. game practically anything you want, and it plays pretty silly. I would say it plays close to Tune if I was going to equate it. Yeah. Tune with a little more adventure. It, it's <laughs> like He-Man. I mean, oh, yeah, there yeah. he is. Punch. We won. You know that sort of thing. <laughs> Well, anyway, we're going to talk about 70s cartoons. My favorite was Thundar the Barbarian. Hands down. Yeah, I missed that one. That was a good one. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's I've heard good it, things about him, though. Yeah, it was like Gamma World with magic. Well, you should run a game. Yeah, I probably should. Jim wrote a game, so he's covered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, no, I asked Jim, Jim Ward how he felt about the, the TV show Red Dwarf. Uh-huh. Because it's pretty darn Metamorphosis Alpha. You know, yeah. On, on a ship... But, Metamorphosis Alpha was derived from a Robert Heinlein story universe, though, right? Yep. Everything comes from somewhere, I believe. No! No! I don't think Jim Ward would deny that he was a Robert Heinlein fan. (laughs) Yeah. There's nothing new. Everything is just a repeat. I'm sad. (laughs) Now we shall engage in French ennui. (laughs) (laughs) Perhaps more on Tolstoy. Go ahead there, Mike. (laughs) <laughs> yep. Okay, gaming. Yes. Were you ever a war gamer? Not per se, but we did play some miniatures. Oh. Sort of skirmish things. Mm-hmm. So we played uh, Romans versus Picts. I don't know what rule system we used. And we played. Did it take two uh, hours, two and a half hours to play each turn? No. Then it no, wasn't it was WRG. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't anything from War Game we... Research Group, so know that. Mm. <laughs> We played Starship Troopers, oh. the uh, Avalon Hill game. Oh, yeah, I had that. I, well, I could never make heads or tails of it when I was, like, 10. <laughs> yeah, it's more of a 12-year-old <laughs> game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, just, I don't uh, recall. My dad, he painted up, like, a whole army of Incas or Aztecs, and we were going to, we were always going to do, like, the, um, you know, Pissarro versus the Incas or... or I uh, forget quite the, which armies are which. I sh- that's terrible of me, but uh, uh-huh. we never got—he never got the Spaniards painted up, so we never got to play that game. Ah, that sounds awesome. Though. He had an army of Egyptians, and he had a, um, some other. Uh, I think he may have had some Zulus. I mean, he had a lot of ancient things. And I bet you could have so, used uh, a lot of those in Empire of the Petal Throne, probably. Yeah, if I'd ever learned, <laughs> learned how to pronounce the gods. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you could ever pronounce them. He was not adverse to wargaming, but but, and, nope. but we did just a little of it. I think we may have played a Vikings uh, raid uh, 
I don't know where, on British Isles or something, skirmish game too. But it was mostly and, and my old. Oh yeah, we did, yeah. He loved miniatures. He loved uh, collecting them and painting them. And... Yeah, he's a battle gamer deep down. Probably you can feel good, Mike. Yeah, we didn't play many ah. games with chips and and things. Uh, besides well, Starship Troopers and uh, awful green things from outer space. Oh, Is that woo-hoo. a war game? I'm not sure. It's yeah, just the best game. <laughs> okay, to get back to D and D then and make Corbett happy. Uh, <laughs> Off the miniatures, how detailed did he get with his, uh, say, dungeons and stuff? Did he, like, do up maps for the miniatures to be on? Or was it the standard, you know, minis were mostly just there to determine marching order? There was almost always something to represent the monsters as well as the characters. And then he would draw, at first he drew in in a grease pencil on a big piece of plastic that had a grid on it. And then later he had a whole table made with and that he painted with chalkboard paint, Ooh. and he would draw things out on That's the chalkboard. Idea. Okay. So it was, did have a tactical eight. element then. You you actually had your figures, okay, I'm fighting this monster over here while you move over there and do that one, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I guess it was tactical. I mean, I don't remember him ever pulling out a tape measure or anything like that. Mm. But mm. Uh, I think it was more that he liked playing with toys, and he got a chance to play with toys on his big <laughs> big toy board you know nothing wrong with that (laughs) (laughs) and you run into Dima Gorgon (laughs) (laughs) I made a a half inch scale castle in my ceramics class in high school and we he put that into a game and he bought a uh, an Egyptian temple you know model kit and he put that into a game so he liked having lots of things to play with to represent stuff Hey, I got four or five Dwarven Forge sets, so I'm not going to criticize. But, yeah, uh, but he didn't make uh, he didn't make walls, and yeah, and it wasn't quite always that involved. Well, I know, I also know what you mean because our DM Chase at one point we ran into a sandworm in our D and D game because mm-hmm. he had made a 25 millimeter two scale sandworm out of Sculpey. Yeah, like the one from the you know the form open mouth ones like the one from the movie the dune movie in the 80s mm-hmm. and, we're, and as soon as that thing showed up i was like jace we're fighting this just because you want to use this mini don't you mm-hmm. he goes yes <laughs> okay well, i just were clear on that <laughs> you didn't get to charm the sandworm <laughs> no no ride it. no we did kill it though and there wasn't any spice either which really kind of stank <laughs> oh well <laughs> Thank God oh, for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, then we turn into little, like, tadpole critters. Now we're getting into <laughs> Dune here. Well, to wrap up... <laughs> oh, wait, wait, I was going to ask her a question. Uh, oh, okay. Totally mm-hmm. off of the gaming subject, though, so... <laughs> I guess. Well, no, We've I been just... so rigorous to stay on gaming up to this point, but I guess we can like, digress. Corbin. Well, no, Chris, I was just curious what you do. I paint scenery, uh, and I teach... Uh, set painting and a little bit of uh, stagecraft at community college. Yeah, I got into acting and I was playing Lucifer, so I made a mask for for Lucifer and from making a couple of masks, I got a little job making puppets and then I got a job painting scenery and so on and so forth. I've designed a few sets for children's theater and Shakespeare and still kind of in the world of fantasy sometimes. Yeah. Totally. I just painted a Little Mermaid recently for Little Mermaid. (laughs) (laughs) 
Awesome. You still have the Lucifer mask? Uh, no, that just that fell apart. Uh, <laughs> I do have a I do have a wall of masks that I wore at his Halloween party. So. Oh, okay. Maybe you could wear one to North Texas. That way we can identify you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the masked man. I, I, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I could if I could last... sit in my luggage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, and sand... the air li- airlines are now probably TSA would like stop you if you had a weird mask. The sandworm reminded me that when. Uh, when we kept running into the purple worm in Dad's first dungeon, I made a miniature because we—I don't think one existed at the time. So I took like a toilet paper roll and made a paper mache sandworm out of it. <laughs> cool. toilet paper, paper mache, and a couple of cat's eyes or something that we had for eyeballs. <laughs> well, that's cool. Very proud of that one. It was big enough that you could put a figurine inside its mouth. In its maw, yeah. Oh, that which is, awesome. is yeah. unfortunately the fate of too many characters when it comes to purple But it, it did kind of resemble a purple turd. That <laughs> 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 was very scary. It did the job. Yeah, That's important. That's right. Seen on the board. Must have been fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Well, any <laughs> other questions? Or shall we wrap this up? Thank you for mentioning Tales of Peril. Not at all. We'll put it in the show notes so people can go over to Blackblade and help their secret Bahamas bank account by buying <laughs> well, copies. Hopefully, if it sells well enough, there might be another Tales of Peril related project in my future. So that would awesome. be cool. Oh, good. Well, that's <laughs> I'm not incentive. Tell you any more than that. <laughs> Everybody, okay. go buy two copies right now. All right. Well, thanks yeah, for coming it, on, Chris. We appreciate. Oh, you're you. very welcome, Mike. And nice talking to you, Corbett. That was fantastic. And Liz, nice talking to you again. <laughs> Take care. All right. We'll see you in June. All righty. North Texas. Okay, is. great. <laughs> Once again, thanks to Chris Holmes for coming on the show. Great talking to you. Hope we didn't digress too much. But, you know, we're gamers. We do that. Anyway, hope everybody's enjoyed the sideshow and the geeks in said sideshow. <laughs> and we'll be seeing you guys at episode 11. Say goodnight, everybody. Bye-bye. Good night, everybody. Free arc. The chicken heads. <laughs> Bring on your the Save for Half Podcast is a production of the Mud Puppy Games Network and the Gagman Podcast. The Save for Half theme music is provided by the band Mississippi Bones. You can find them at mississippibones.bandcamp.com. All player characters mentioned in this podcast are fictional, and any resemblance to PCs living or dead is purely coincidental. No NPCs were armed in the making of this podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Save for Half. I'm going 20s like a 68 Impala. AC don't